electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. And welcome to this CNBC special Blue Chip Playbook. I'm Sarah Eisen. Jim Cramer has the night off. Our goal this hour is simple. Give investors a guide to investing in the blue chips. These stocks that are the cream of the crop. Large companies, brand names, established track records, and solid dividend earners. We broke it down for you into multiple sectors. Tonight we'll hit the consumer from two angles. First, with inflation on everyone's mind, are consumer staples the place to hide? Or as we emerge from COVID, are we still spending at a clip that will give consumer discretionary names a boost? Then we'll look for value in the beaten down tech sector and the pulse of healthcare, searching for quality names and healthy returns. The recent Fed moves have the financials under our spotlight, but is now the time to invest? And a look at energy stocks driven by the war in Ukraine, OPEC volatility, and more. Finally, we'll give you an outlook for the tried and true industrial giants. Here at Post 9, for the hour with me to help guide through this playbook of blue chip investing is John Spallanzani. He's a portfolio manager at Miller Value Partners. John, good to have you as a co-pilot. Thanks for having me. We're going to get John's outlook and insight on each sector throughout the show. But before we dive into all of this, let's quickly recap today's market action. The Dow gaining almost 200 points. It was a choppy session today. We were up and down, finished up on a high note near the highs of the session, looking past Powell's comments signaling future interest rate increases. Let's begin by opening our playbook and looking at some sector trends and what blue chip stocks are driving them. Mike Santoli is here. He did some digging for us as always. And he's here to set the stage. What do you find? Yeah, Sarah. Now, the one big outlier group is energy. We don't show that here, but it's up 40% year to date. We know what's going on with oil and gas. Outside of that, the market really has preferred traditional defensive areas. This is those big stable companies, the groups that are less directly tied to the boom and bust of the economy, less volatile stocks, usually more dividend payers. So here you have uh, consumer staples down only 5% year to date, way outperforming the S&P. That's healthcare XLV. That is down 8%. Now on the other side, tech and consumer discretionary are more volatile, obviously more tied to worries about growth. That's XLK and XOL. Now, some representative stocks, blue chips within some of the outperforming areas of the market. Take a look here. Within healthcare, traditional pharmaceuticals have actually been very strong, quietly so. They did not really participate much in the boom up to the highs. But here you have Merck 
up 14% this year. Hershey, pretty representative of a lot of the consumer staples group, the higher quality, kind of longer term, uh, kind of steady performers. And then general dynamics within industrials, defense contractors have been relatively strong. Now, it's not as if just because you're a blue chip stock, you've done well this year, because there have been some groups that have lagged badly and maybe uh, are ripe for some kind of bottom fishing. Take a look here within financials, J.P. Morgan, Target, Intel. Very tough years for all of them. They've all underperformed. They all have pretty good dividend yields uh, between, let's say, 25 to 4.5% among these stocks here, Sarah. So uh, it kind of runs the gamut, but it has been a bit of a pre-recession defensive leadership story this year. Mike Santoli, Mike, thank you. John, that, that has been the move, right? Go hide out into defensive, sort of safe haven stocks like Staples and healthcare. Should you continue to pursue that strategy? No, I don't think so. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the ECB obviously uh, hiked 75 basis points today. It was, a, it was a big increase. Yeah, and they said they might do another 75 basis points. The Fed obviously on plan to do another 75 basis points. I think right now the market is really priced in almost 75% chance of a recession. We see that the overall indexes are down, you know, 20, 25%, which is basically kind of priced recession. And what the market hasn't really priced is no recession. We saw claims fall today, which was a big drop from 255 to 222, which means that the consumer is not as stressed as people might believe. And I think that the, the things that aren't priced as well is inflation falling faster than people think, which, as you noted, you know, used core prices have really collapsed. Chicken wing prices have collapsed. Uh, Oil. M M2 <laughs> has collapsed. Yeah, Oil has collapsed. So those are really kind of uh, positive things longer term. So if we don't go into a recession and inflation falls faster than people think, then and, and, and a 75% chance of recession is priced, then really the pain trade, I think, is higher, not lower. Higher for stocks. All right, higher let's dive into stocks. some sectors. We'll dr drill down now on the consumer. And this is a big one. So we're splitting it into two parts. We've got staples and discretionary and they've both been going in a different direction. First up, consumer staples, third best performing sector so far this year as household and consumer stocks like Coca-Cola, P&G, and Clorox have buoyed this index. Joining us now is Andrea Teixeira. She's a senior equity analyst at J.P. Morgan and Linda Montag, senior vice president at Moody's. Ladies, good evening. Thanks for joining us. So, Linda, what, what is the environment for staples right now? We know that they're loved because they're considered safer, but, but how's their business? Yes, Sarah, the staples industry is a defensive one, and we're seeing fairly solid results, but you know, not all staples are created equally either. And certainly our expectation is that companies that are you know, facing good growth or are benefiting from a recovery out of the pandemic are performing the best. So those include beverage companies, which saw shutdowns during the pandemic and are now, as venues reopen and travel is growing, are seeing good results. The same thing for the cosmetic companies, for example, within the consumer staples area. These are companies that are going to outperform others. Andrea, the question is, are they getting too expensive because they have been somewhat of a safe haven and growth has been a little bit better than expected? Yes, Sarah, thanks for having me. Um, consumption, indeed, as John has been saying, and, um, and, and in general with Linda, I totally agree that consumption of staples in the U.S. remain quite strong. Companies are starting to see um, retail destocking, though, um, and consumption in Europe has been a little bit more uh, muted uh, as of late uh, with more price sensitivity. Uh, so, indeed, the stocks have been pricing, especially the large caps have been pricing 
uh, that this is going to continue. So I think investors should focus on the ones that are, like Linda said, focus on um, the reopening because there's still um, some names that have been suffering from a valuation perspective, including Estee Lauder, like I would say the falling angels within the reopening stories, or even Coca-Cola if you want to be defensive or names that are, you know, more exposed to uh, the most uh, stable and, 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 and defensive side of the, of the spectrum staples. So you like, you like Coca-Cola, you like Estee Lauder, you, you're sticking with the beverages and beauty theme, not household products? Andrea? Yes, correct. Household, uh, I would say, is a little bit more tricky because consumers have been shifting away from consumption at home and going uh, to experiences and going to restaurants and going and travel. And therefore, we see the wallet shifting uh, to those uh, to those areas. So I would say definitely more into the reopening. And I think it's temporary until we see um, consumers uh, continue to go um, into into the beauty um, category, and therefore uh, numbers pos- could possibly surprise into 2023. John, you know which one everyone loves the most right now is Hershey. This is a stock up 16 and a half percent. All the analysts love it. It seems to be in the the sweet spot. Forgive the pun. Really, it's domestic, U.S. exposed. It's sort of safe. It's growing. Should you stick with these now? Are they getting expensive to you? I think you, or you, I know you don't even like the sector. No, you like, I like more growth. Yeah, but I like uh, I've liked Hershey for a long time actually personally. But uh, as a as a firm, we don't as really a stock have, or as a product. Both. Both. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't sure and, what you and meant the there. And the park, of course. But yeah, uh, yeah I think that uh, Hershey is you know that's uh, it's they're commo- a little commodity sensitive right for uh, for chocolate, but they also have pricing power, and that's the key thing. They have such a strong brand that they're able to. Uh, you know, raise prices when they have to. And obviously we have Halloween coming up because I already saw some candy on the shelves. So this is the uh, Well, Michelle Buck, the CEO, this is commented the sweet on that. spot. <laughs> yes, well, she talked about it on earnings. She yeah. said they're so, so far yeah. so good, strong yeah. trends that yeah. they're seeing in, into the holidays. Lin- and also this is probably the first Halloween where we don't have a pandemic-related situation. We where went out it's, it, it, yeah. last year in Halloween. But yeah, I, I, I you know, know what, what you mean. mean. Yeah, it's yeah. more private parties. Like <laughs> I know you, you know, uh, your circles. Yes. Linda, <laughs> what you've done, you've done a lot of work on profitability in the sector. And I think you agree with Andrea. Beverages are a good spot to be in. Coke and Pepsi have outperformed this this year, despite the fact that they both deal with the strong dollar, which hurts earnings and really have a lot of overseas risks, especially Coca-Cola. Right. Yes. Well, you know, at Moody's, we think a lot about the um, franchise strength of companies. And I think you're going to see good performance, good pricing power from companies that have strong brands, good innovation and diversity, either geographically or across products. Those are the companies that stand to do the best, especially in uncertain economic times. Um, And profitability is key. And certainly many of the beverage companies are among the most profitable companies we write within the food sector. You know, you mentioned Hershey, um, Hershey, Mondelez, companies in the snacking area tend to have higher profitability than some of the other staple, uh, you know, sort of shelf stable products. And profitability is really important when you're seeing a lag in being able to take pricing due to inflation. Those those higher margins will sustain these companies until they can catch up with what's happening to the underlying costs. The only pushback is we get an uh-oh like today with McCormick, the spice maker. They came out and they lowered guidance for the year and they warned on, on profitability and all the food stocks got hit, Linda. So I don't, know, I, I, I don't know whether it can hold up. I don't know if it's a retailer restocking thing or that consumers are trading down to 
private label? Yeah, so, I mean, think? that's another really good point. If, if private label is a factor in your sector, there's a greater risk, especially if we head into recession. So the beverage industry has very little private label penetration. That's one of the reasons that margins are relatively strong mm. and that they do well through recessions. Think of some other categories, certain canned goods, for example, where store brands have become quite prevalent. And so there are categories that are more susceptible to, than pri to private label than others. Those are the ones to watch out for. Andrea Teixeira, Linda Montag, thank you both for joining me this evening. Good to talk to you. Thank you. We'll go from the third best performing sector this year to the third worst performer. That's the consumer discretionary stocks. Restaurants, retailers making up the sector have seen a rocky year as the world recovers from pandemic trends. The sector is down over 20 percent so far this year. Joining us is David Swartz, analyst at Morningstar and Scott Nations, president and CIO of Nation Shares. Good evening to to both of you. David, your sector has, I don't know, gotten cheap or gotten sold off for for good reason as people worry about the economy. Wh which is it? What are you telling your, your clients to do? There are certainly good reasons why the, the stocks are down. I mean, many of them are down 40 to 50 percent in my area of coverage, which is mostly uh, apparel retail and apparel manufacturing. And it is a difficult year. But the thing is, I think a lot of them are, are poised to come back in 2023. So I think a lot of them are oversold. There's really no reason why they should be down 40 or 50 percent this year. The expectations this year were really not that not going to be that high because last year was such a great year for many of these companies that it would have been almost impossible for them to match what they put up last year. So, you know, I think a lot of them are oversold. David, what, uh, Scott, excuse me, what do you think? Because clearly there are worries right now with inflation starting to bite, with the with the retail inventories getting all messed up because of COVID, with the economy potentially facing recession. This has been a group People, people don't want to buy Carnival Cruise or Etsy or, or Tesla or Amazon, which are also in this group. What do you think? Is there an opportunity here? You're absolutely right. I think David is a little more optimistic than I am or much more optimistic than I am. You know, Sarah, you mentioned Amazon and Tesla. And if you look at the, the ETFs, the discretionary ETFs together, they make up nearly 50% of those ETFs. And, and those are companies that are very expensive. Amazon with a forward PE of 79, Tesla with a forward PE of 58. And so I'd much rather focus on the, the names in the discretionary sector that make or sell stuff that you really have to have anyway. And this highlights the fact that between staples and discretionary, there's a fair amount of overlap. But I've described companies that are in the discretionary ETFs like Home Depot, McDonald's, and probably my favorite name among all of them is Target. Uh, they all make or sell something that you have to have anyway. And uh, you don't have to have a Tesla, but when I go to Home Depot, I need whatever I'm going for. So I think that those are really the, the places to focus and target of the names I've mentioned is by far the cheapest. It's got a forward PE of just 15 and a half. Lowe's is even cheaper, 14 and a half. Uh, Home Depot below 20. And again, Amazon, a, a forward PE of 79. And Tesla, a forward PE of 58. So I really think there's a dichotomy. So I would be picking individual discretionary stocks. Yeah, the must-haves. Rather you than like the, the must-have discretionary. I know you're going to disagree, John, on the Amazon. Your well, boss, yeah. Bill Miller, is a big fan yes. of this stock. What, what, what is your case for why Amazon is not expensive? Well, tonight is uh, Amazon Prime night, so we have uh, football <laughs> opening, and uh, they, they actually have the TV package. So that's that's one thing. Obviously, AWS. Is that a reason is, to like the stock? Yeah, that's just a, oh, just You're just throwing that out. Yeah, throwing that in, yeah, throwing okay. that in there. Uh, uh, AWS is, you know, 
uh, kicking on all cylinders. Uh, they're uh, obviously prime, right? They have a re recurring customer base all the time, just cashing, cashing, cashing. Uh, as well as the growth, you know, the growth uh, uh, is going to continue going forward. So Bill thinks, you know, it's a $3 trillion company in a, in, in, in a little bit. Uh, he's, uh, he's still long and strong, the mm -hmm. stock, uh, and it touches so many areas. I think the one thing that people yeah. don't understand is that, you know, obviously it's really solidified itself during the pandemic. I mean, people were getting cartons from Amazon every day, and thank God we had the technology that we did so everybody could actually shelter in place and get all these goods 100%. delivered. And that was a, that was a huge was a game uh, changer. Huge thing. Yeah. And, and one last thing is their move into healthcare, which is going to be so disruptive that I don't think people are really... Um, are, People are, thought that about grocery, yeah, and it just the, never really ne happened. But healthcare is so ripe for disruption. All right, we're going to talk healthcare. Yeah. Hang on to that thought, because David, I just want to get a final word from you, because you you clearly thought think a lot of your names have gotten beat up too hard. What what's your favorite? What do you think is too cheap? I like Tapestry and Capri, uh, both very heavy in handbags. Uh, Tapestry, the parent company of Coach, and Capri and Michael Kors. I also think Nike and Under Armour and Adidas are undervalued on the sportswear side. Mm, clearly not not worried about the European risk there and the Chinese risk. Well, there is, um, it's, the way, I think it's already priced in. All right. Tapestry CEO on with me at Closing Bell tomorrow at 3 p.m. Shameless plug. David Swartz, Scott Nations, thank you both. Good evening for joining us. Don't go anywhere. The CNBC special blue chip playbook is just getting started. Tonight, our blue chip playbook continues with tech names that are giving them heck. Plus, not all great ideas come from New Brunswick, New Jersey, but overlook this Garden State Goliath at your own peril. And lend me your ears. For 3% interest, open the vault to the secrets of Wall Street's blue chip financials. That and more on CNBC. Fact, running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is 
constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. The Nasdaq gaining almost 1% today. It is coming off, though, its longest losing streak since 2016. Apple, the heaviest stock, weighing down the index 16 points or so today. Joining us to dig into the beaten down tech sector is Rosenblatt's Barton Crockett. Barton, interest rates rising seems to be the big headwind for, for tech. And just when you think that that's, you know, seen enough of it for the year, we had Powell in the Jackson Hole speech. We had Powell again today reiterating he's going to be tough on inflation and that the market shouldn't expect a change. So can you own tech in this environment? Oh, I think you have to have tech um, because tech is the future of humanity. I mean, there's really three things that drive society, right? That is war, historically speaking, war, uh, culture, and technology. And of those three, which are all active right now, tech is uniquely investable. Um, The thing about tech, though, is that technology is our Darwinian battle of winners and losers. And I think there's this false idea of you can buy chop stocks that are cheap because there's a reversion to the mean. Guys that uh, you know are in tech are viable. Uh, you want to buy them when they're cheap, but that's not always the case because guys will lose, um, and those are the ones you don't want to own. So I think in tech you look for winners at a reasonable valuation in areas where the secular tide is going your way. Um, so I think you can, in this environment in particular, you can be very selective and get some great companies. Um, you know, and some of the ones that we're looking at right now would be people like an Alphabet um, that I cover with a buy rating, $156 price target. Um, you know, my, my colleagues uh, at Rosenblatt are recommending um, AMD, um, Marvel and Microsoft as uh, other big tech winners. Um, losers that I think are unsafe in this environment would include Intel covered by Hans Mosesman uh, with a sell rating at Rosenblatt and Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, people who are losers in this great kind of epic battle, Darwinian battle for the future of media and technology. Well, you you gave us a lot to work with there. We're going to bring Brent Phil into the conversation as well from Jeffries, who covers the sector. Brent, I asked basically with rates on the rise whether you can own tech right now. And and my, my next question is what's happening with earnings expectations in this sector? Because a lot of the names Barton just mentioned, Alphabet, Microsoft, are exposed. Yes, Sarah. Uh, Most of the multiples have been impaired severely. Most of the tech stocks are down 20 to 60 percent. So they're already implying the rate rise and the fear of of cuts. So we've actually been seeing uh, companies going up on earnings. Stocks are going up on earnings because they're clearing the deck, saying the macros having an impact. Our clients want to see that. So I think a lot of this is already felt. We're not out of the woods. This may get worse into early 23. I think you want a 23, maybe the clear the deck from a company perspective that they're seeing the full macro picture. It takes time for the macro to show up in technology, especially in software and internet, where or I cover it more in software. So it's a lag. But I, I do believe a lot of it's already baked in. I think you have to be selectively buying names like Amazon, Google. Uh, we continue to like uh, Amazon here as well. Um, NVIDIA, from a, a semis perspective, Mark, Mark Lapasas uh, covers that for us. So there's a handful of names that we're recommending. But again, it's a, it's a uh, you know, dip your toe in, 
I don't think it's back up the truck quite yet. I think we're we're almost there. Uh, Q1 of 23, maybe the kind of final final clear the deck, and then I think we we've got a better uh, trajectory. I feel like John, you're you're nodding. You agree with that assessment? Well, this is a blue chip show, and he, he <laughs> kind of covered all the blue chips right there. So I think Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Apple, Google, those are all very attractive long term uh, stocks, and the fact that they all split. It makes them very attractive for people. But who if want the economy to put them gets worse, have the have the expectations have they come down enough for earnings? That's the question. On well, I mean, the Nasdaq is down 25 percent, and some of the names in the Nasdaq are down 70 percent, 80 percent, 90 percent. So yeah, I think that we've seen a pretty across uh, the board uh, takedown of, of recessionary risks right now. 75 percent priced. Brent and Barton, thank you for joining us with your with some of your top picks. Appreciate it. The blue chip playbook continues right after a break. Coming up, are these companies equipped to handle your portfolio's healthcare needs? Stay tuned. Plus, cash on delivery? We deposit some knowledge on the big financials. Blue chips ahoy, next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back. Let's get now to Courtney Reagan with the latest on the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Courtney. Hi, Sarah. Good evening. It's good to see you. Earlier this hour, President Biden and the First Lady visiting the British Embassy in Washington. He signed the condolence book and spoke with embassy personnel. There are still thousands of people outside Buckingham Palace mourning the death of Queen Elizabeth. Sadness and shock dominate the mostly quiet crowd. In New York, the United Nations held a moment of silence to honor the Queen's life and memory. Delegates stood quietly in both the General Assembly and the Security Council. The moment the Queen died, Prince Charles became king. He will be known as King Charles III. At age 73, he is the oldest person ever to take the British throne. And just a few hours ago, Prince Harry finally made it to Balmoral Castle in Scotland, where his grandmother, Queen Elizabeth, died. This even though he was already in Britain. Sarah, back over to you. Courtney Reagan, thank you for the update. We'll turn now to the healthcare sector. It was a top performer in today's session. Investors have been piling into this defensive play during the market volatility this year. According to some fund data provided by Vetify, the healthcare ETF, XLV, has seen the most inflows this year to date of any of the sector ETFs. Joining us now to talk some names is Greenwood Capital President and CIO Walter Todd. One of his main funds, the large cap equity strategy, is overweight healthcare. And B of A Securities Senior Biotech and Pharma Analyst Jeff Meacham is here as well. Gentlemen, good evening to both of you. Walter, my, my question is the case for healthcare right now, since it is, what, a quarter of your portfolio, more than the S&P exposure, especially relative to some other safe haven plays like utilities or consumer staples. Why is healthcare more attractive to you? 
Yeah, good evening, Sarah. Glad to be here. So we think the combination that healthcare has between valuation and growth is is unique right now. If you look at utilities and staples, they traded over 20 times earnings, about a 20% premium to the market. Healthcare and aggregates trading at about 15 times or 10% discount to the market. You combine that with the growth opportunities across biotech, pharma, healthcare equipment, et cetera. And we think that combination is, is a great one uh, in this type of market. I'm looking at some of the stocks that you own. And of course, Jeff covers a lot of them. Jeff, and you have a buy on a lot of his, on a lot of his companies that he likes. Vertex Pharmaceuticals, Lilly. Why, why Vertex? Why is that stock so hot? It's up more than 30% this year. And, and should you continue to be in it? Uh, Jeff, well, th- thanks, uh, first of all, Sarah, yeah, for, uh, for having me. Yeah, Vertex is a stock that we like. As you mentioned, we do have a buy on it. Um, I think in this era, you know, the period that we're in, in terms of mostly defensive names working and in a lot of macro uncertainty, um, drugs or companies in the rare disease space really do quite well because they're, they're very insulated from, you know, from a lot of these macro pressures, and Vertex is probably one of the biggest ones out there. I wanted to also ask Jeff about J&J, which is in your portfolio, and, um, excuse me, Walter, which is in your portfolio. Jeff covers it and has a hold rating on that one. Why, why do you like J&J? How did the split? There's been some legal drama. It's flat year to date. Yeah, well, uh, flat is new up uh, in this market. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we like, again, you know, it's a combination of trades of 16 times earnings. It's, you know, it's not growing tremendously fast, but mid-single-digit type growth. I got the 2.75% dividend yield. So, you know, J&J is kind of that all-weather stock, kind of a cornerstone of a portfolio and the volatility that we're seeing in the market. We think it's a great, you know, position to have uh, in any portfolio. Jeff, why do you disagree? Yeah, well, we're not negative on J&J. I would say it's a stock that you want to own in periods of extreme macro uncertainty. We're in that period, but it does seem like maybe we're, we're, we're getting out of it soon. But there are some uncertainties on J&J. You know, what is the core business worth uh, when you, uh, when, after you separate out consumer? Uh, and some of their segments, you know, uh, pharma and, and, and uh, medical devices, you know, the growth is a little bit uncertain at this point. But, you know, I would say I, I agree that it's a great defensive play. But there are other stocks that you can play defense with perhaps lower multiples uh, or better growth. Like what? Like what? What do you like better? Uh, yeah, I would say Pfizer uh, is one of the ones that we do like. Um, you know, just with respect to uh, uh, the COVID upside, um, you have a lower multiple. You do have a, a, a lot of accretive M&A going on right now um, uh, at Pfizer. And, you know, it's uh, um, I put Bristol in the same camp. You know, they're, they're more defensive, uh, slightly, you know, uh, slightly better growth, um, but uh, a, better, a, a better long-term picture, I would say. John, John Spallanzani, Miller Value, still with me here at the desk. You you're interested in Pfizer as well. Yeah, I like Pfizer. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, way back when Pfizer used to go, it used to be a staple in New York City, used to go up, split, you know, two for one, two for one. That was the, uh, you know, 80s, 90s. Since then, it really has done nothing for about, you know, 20 years. And it's been in this channel really between, I would say, uh, you know, 20 and 50, uh, 30 and 60. But if it takes out that 60 level, which it tested a couple of times, you know, we could see like a parabolic move in that. Uh, Just because they have, again, they did a lot of M&A. Now they have Pfizer-BioNTech and they have uh, mRNA, which really is kind of uh, showed the force through the pandemic. So I think uh, it's, you know, we're talking it's a blue chip show. 
Pfizer's a blue chip name, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of upside if uh, we're able to take out the old highs. Well, not necessarily blue chip. I'll di- I'll I'll go a little bit away for for a minute just to talk biotech, Walter, because we are seeing some signs of life in terms of M and A activity. Investors have been waiting for that for a really long time, and and some big moves. Regeneron today was up like almost 20 percent on some positive trial results. How do you pick winners in this space? Yeah, whenever you get news like that from Regeneron, we also saw some you know, exciting news out of Amelix with their ALS drug overnight as well. You tend to see some pin action in the sector. And, you know, the, the change in sentiment in biotech last year with the, with uh, rates going higher and people, you know, avoiding non-earning stocks has definitely weighed on the sector. But we think, you know, that tide is turning here. Uh, we do think these large companies like Pfizer, Bristol, J&J have to look for growth. There's a lot of attractive companies in the space. We think one way to play this without uh, you know, taking risk on the binary drug outcomes is Thermo Fisher. Uh, they're kind of the mm. picks and shovels supplier to the biotech and pharmaceutical space. You can't really do drug discovery and drug production without their services and products. And so we think that's a good way to, to play the growth in that area. That's an amazing long-term chart, Thermo Fisher. If you haven't looked at it, check it out. Uh, Walter and Jeff, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you both for joining us with some of your picks Thank and you. your strategies. The CNBC special blue chip playbook continues right after a break. Welcome back. Let's get straight to the financial sector, one of today's top performing sectors, in fact. But take a look at the financial spider ETF. So far this year, it's down about 13 percent. Gerard Cassidy, head of U.S. Bank Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets, joins us now to break down what is to come for the sector. Gerard, higher interest rates, good for the banks, sure, but with worries about recession and a yield curve that is inverted. Can you own these companies in this environment? I think you can, Sarah. And and you showed a very good graphic there that the stocks have struggled this year, no doubt about it. And it's because of what you just identified, the concerns about a recession and the likelihood that in a recession, credit costs go up. But we saw in the FDIC numbers today some remarkable industry trends. The net interest margin for the industry this quarter went up to about 2.75% from 2.57%. we are going to see that happen again in the third quarter. So I think, Sarah, what people are seeing is rising rates, short-term rates. It's not so much the yield curve. It's the short end of the curve. As that goes up, the banks are seeing their net interest revenue growth grow dramatically, and that's going to help them manage through any higher credit costs. If that's the case, why is J.P. Morgan down? I'm looking at the year to date now. It's it's like almost 30, 25 percent or so, 30 percent. It's been such an underperformer. They benefit from those higher margins and higher revenues, don't they? Yeah, no, good point, Sarah. No, you're absolutely right. But what you have to remember with J.P. Morgan and Bank of America or Citigroup, these are diversified revenue companies, and they have very big investment banking businesses. And as you know, the investment banking business this year has been very, very weak. But if you look at the pure lenders, the regional banks, the key corp, a fifth third, these are the ones that should benefit more so because they drive more of the revenue from lending. But you're right, the, the big investment banks, the asset managers, the wealth managers, anybody that's driving fee revenue from the financial markets, they've, they've struggled this year. And if we're right, the Fed's going to continue to raise rates until the end of the year. These traditional regional banks are going to be big beneficiaries especially when it comes to their deposit costs, which are going to not go up as much as their asset yields. It's very windy there, Gerard. I don't know where you are, but windy shot. I'm John Spallanzani here, Miller Valley. Which, which names in the bank's 
face do you like? Well, he's in, he's in the eye of the Jamie Dimon hurricane, <laughs> it seems like. But uh, I think that if we don't go into a hurricane, like <laughs> Jamie Dimon says, and we and let's say it's a tropical storm, which it could be over there. Which Jamie these, did say that could happen, yeah. to be fair. So, again, if we don't have, if, if a recession's priced, the bank stocks are down some, you know, as you said, 30%, 20%. Signature Bank is down 45%. Uh, we see T row prices down like 30%. Capital One Financial down 30%. So, we've already seen the market discounting the fact that things are slowing, possible recessions, 75%. I think that Bank of America, obviously, we're talking blue chip, That's blue chip, the right? They, they have, they have, uh, they they obviously have great mortgage originations. Uh, the you know six percent. How could you not make money when mortgage rates are six percent and you're and and the well, Fed because funds they fall still, off, demand falls off a cliff. Well, not but you're still getting that whole you're getting that margin right. So you're getting you're paying deposits. I, I think the five year CDs are still lower than you know it's two percent, two and a half percent. You're lending mortgages. You know even if you're lending at four, five, six. Let's uh, let's just. For, for argument's sake, that's a, that's a big spread. Coupled with the fact that the market is below 4,000, again, you know, the market's discounted a lot. If, if we see uh, market continue to, to go higher, right, if the pain trade is higher, then all these financials are going to rally along with the, with, the, with the economy and the market. I do, I do think it's interesting that Diamond warned of a hurricane and, and at Bank of America, you know, Brian Moynihan's been saying the consumer's in great shape. It really, it's been yeah. kind of a disconnect. So, Gerard, what are, what are some of the favorites there? You were starting to distinguish between regional lenders. You can always go into categories, regional versus the big bulge bracket banks like a J.P. Morgan or some of the, the more exposed to trading banks like a Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs. What parts of the financial universe do you like? Sarah, and you put your thumb right on it because you really do have to break them up by the type of bank they are. So if you go to the banks, what I call the right side of the balance sheet, we haven't had to look at the deposit mix of a bank for 15 years because for the last 15 years, rates have been zero to 25 basis points with the exception of 2017 and 18. Let's assume a Fed funds rate in the spring of next year is four, four to a quarter percent, put a three percent um, you know, margin on top of that for a prime rate loan. So regional banks that can be lending at six, seven percent commercial loans, they're going to be funding that with deposits that cost less than one percent. So it's the regional banks, I think, you're going to find are going to be the beneficiaries of this interest rate environment, assuming we don't go into that hurricane. And if we have a soft landing or a very shallow recession, the credit picture for the banks, we're going into this in a very healthy position. And the spreads are going to be able to, I think, manage any higher costs on credit. I mean, we may get another 75 basis point increase in Fed funds rate this month. And you throw that on the 275s we just uh, received, these spreads are going higher. And that's what I think the market underappreciated. But recently, the banks are you know, outperforming on a relative basis in the last four to six weeks. And I would suggest people are recognizing these spreads are really widening out. Gerard Cassidy, we will, we will leave it there. Don't blow Thank away. You. Thank you for joining us. Still Come ahead on, on the CNBC special blue chip playbook. Oil bounced today, but it is still down more than 4% so far this week. It's well off its highs, back in the low 80s. What does the price action in the commodity mean for the underlying energy stocks? We'll ask our energy panel next. It has been a wild week for energy. WTI and Brent 
Those are the crude oils, both tracking for a two-week losing streak. Last Friday, remember Gazprom announcing a total shutdown of its Nord Stream pipeline, exacerbating Europe's energy crisis. Earlier this week, OPEC announced it is cutting its October production by 100,000 barrels per day. And now fears over demand are renewing as China continues to extend these COVID lockdown measures. Let's dig in to the energy sector with Kevin Book of Clearview Energy Partners and Kenny Polkari of Slatestone Wealth. Good to see both of you. Hi. Kevin, people are bearish now because they're worried about that demand destruction, slowing China, slowing Europe, slowing U.S. And when the economy slows, it's a lot less oil consumption. Do you disagree? Uh, no question about the demand fears. But against a backdrop of a structural supply shortness and energy writ large, uh, we may be overlooking what it means to be short one, about one and a quarter percent of the, the energy the world consumes because of war and because of sanctions. Some of the gas cut off to Europe, that bleeds into barrels, uh, distillate on the grid, backup generation. Uh, that's uh, some source of offset to the demand woes. Kenny, I think you're going to agree because you're recommending a few of these names, including Exxon. Yeah, I absolutely agree with him. I think it's absolutely right. And I think I think it's being, you know, uh, misunderstood. I also think the strength of the dollar has certainly helped commodity put pressure on commodities and oil as a commodity True. is certainly suffering that, that as well. Right. So but a rising dollar doesn't necessarily mean de demand destruction across the energy space. And so you're right. ExxonMobil would be a fan favorite. Anyone who's got you know, energy in their portfolio or long-term portfolio, ExxonMobil should find kind of a, a place in there as a core holding, right? I mean, it's a big mega cap name. It has a 3.75%, I think, dividend is what it's paying. It's up 55% this year. And it's more than just oil, right? It's oil, uh, it's exploration and production, it's gas, it's coal, it's minerals. And they are transitioning as well into renewable energy. So for a from a long-term perspective, I think ExxonMobil has to be a name in anyone's long-term portfolio that has energy names in it. You, you mentioned gas briefly there. What, what is the, the gas play, Kenny? Because that, that's where a lot of the focus and attention and the need globally has shifted. That's right. But I, so, so it, you're talking about natural gas. What, which names? Yeah, natural gas here right. in the U.S. So Right. So natural gas. So Chesapeake is a nat nat uh, Chesapeake is another one. It's an oil and a natural gas play. Right. That uh, because there is going to be a demand and that we see what's happening in Europe. That's going to be another disaster. But certainly in this country, you need to play uh, natural gas. Another place we need to play Chesapeake. That's up 62 percent. That's got a nine percent dividend. That's a great stock uh, to own. Another solid name in a portfolio that uh, that uh, investors should consider if they're going to have energy in their in their portfolio. I think we're going to go three for three on bullish energy, right, John? Sponzani, yeah. you too? Yes, I think that... Uh, Not too consensus? It's too, it's, yeah, it's too early for renewables, and they really... Uh, uh, I think the sweet spot right now, it continues to be 85 to like 125 with, with uh, oil. Obviously, we're below that now. I think that demand destruction, recession fears, all the things that you mentioned at the top have pushed us down to this 80 level. I think 75 is kind of like a level to watch. But longer term, you know, until we could take our iPhone and take it and, and power up our Teslas with it, you know, fossil fuels are here to stay. And uh, I think that that's going to leave an underlying bid, not to mention it's a national security interest now. Now that we see what happened in Germany, they were getting all their uh, gas right. and power. All of Europe was, obviously, from Russia. Now it's a national security industry, uh, national well, look, security interest. And, and like some people said, I think uh, Warren Buffett was one, 
that they don't even want us to export some of this natural gas, right? right. They want us to, 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 hmm. to hold it at, in, in the United States as a source of uh, just in case, yeah, exactly, security. Well, look what, look what Putin just said. He's prepared to let the Europeans freeze this winter as far as he's concerned, right? He's weaponized energy. He's weaponized natural gas and now oil. Uh, and so that's a, that becomes a national security issue. Kevin, but you've been monitoring also some of the policy responses out of Europe. They're trying to cap energy bills and price caps. I, I am not such a great track record. What, what do you make of how Europe has dealt with it and where where their their power is going to come from? Yeah, Sarah, the uh, buy the commodity, not the company theme starts to show up when you look at Europe, particularly because price caps and windfall taxes uh, tend to artificially distort markets in ways that leave supply short, uh, but at peril of, unfortunately, for some of the companies, uh, putting them out of business or make, impairing the revenues. So uh, when you look at Europe, particularly uh, the, the questions that they're dealing with right now, can they put a cap on prices? Uh, can they inframarginally cap the, the resources, the clean resources on the grid? All this stuff could be short-term. Short-term intervention comes and goes, but the long-term risk adjustment that investors make uh, to what they look at in the, the numerator, the revenues received, or the denominator, the discount rate, all that means less going into the ground in the future. So in, in the near term, uh, probably some risk to companies, uh, but uh, longer term risk also to supply and therefore bullish. Kevin, Kenny, thank you both for joining me tonight. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. We're going to have much more here of on our blue chip playbook coming up after the break. We're going to hit industrials. And do not miss the news with Shepard Smith right after this, seven, right after this special at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be right back. In recessions, that booming cyclical space, the industrials, often gets hurt. As we move from a looser Fed and thriving economy into tighter monetary policy and a potential slowdown, what name should you be looking at? Joining us is Sheila Kayalu of Jefferies with some quality names she's watching. Sheila, Boeing, I think you put near the top of your list, which has been a disappointment for investors so far this year. Why do you like it? Yeah, it has. Um, so the top of our list on the aerospace side is Boeing, Raytheon Technologies, and Transdime. We like Boeing because we think that they're at an inflection point. In August, they got FAA approval to start delivering the 787 wide-body aircraft after a 20-month hiatus. So we think that's going to unleash uh, free cash flow finally, and the company's set to be 2022 free cash flow positive for the first time. And deliveries are still 50% below prior peak levels. So although other industrials have enjoyed you know, a great run over the past two years, aerospace has still been pretty weak. Yeah, def defense has been weak as well. I, I, can you buy Boeing or a company like this without the visibility into China? So, uh, Sarah, I actually think aerospace has great visibility, despite what happens in the global economy. Um, China's part of it, but it, it's actually improving. In the July data, we saw a 20-point improvement in uh, Chinese air traffic. And, of course, August, there's another set of lockdowns, so that's a different story. But I think when you look at aerospace commercial aircraft production rates, we're expecting a 10 to 20 percent increase over the next three years. And that's regardless of if we have a recession or not. Um, that's just to meet domestic demand and wide bodies. Uh, international traffic is set to recover in 2025 and thereafter. Because this is such a long cycle business, I think you have a little bit of a recession proof in aerospace. And we prefer manufacturers like Boeing and Raytheon that make uh, the engines on aircraft. Why don't you like then the airlines if you see traffic recovering? I, I, I think you like Delta, but not United, not American, not Southwest. 
Yeah, we're really, um, you know, if we had to pick where we don't want to be positioned, it's probably the airlines. Yes, they're cheap at six times EBITDA. But part of the problem is they're seeing uh, inflationary pressures. Costs are set to be up pretty significantly next year when you look at fuel up 50 percent for the airlines. Labor is up 5 percent. And I think that's probably going to uh, undershoot estimates as there's a massive pilot shortage. So although things are good and they're experiencing pricing now, we might see consumers scale back on on travel and pricing. And so we rather not play airlines uh, from that perspective as we think costs are going up and they might not enjoy the pricing they've been seeing this summer. Sheila Kayalu from Jefferies, thank you for joining us with the Industrials Playbook. John, the theme that I took away for tonight, going through sector by sector, is that you and a lot of these folks that cover these sectors are very bullish, that a lot of the damage has been done in the market. Everyone's saying that there's sectors, that, at least if they're exposed to the economy, tech, consumer discretionary, Housing. energy, are cheap. Yep. But what, if we, but what if we do face more economic pain? But remember, the market's a discounting mechanism, so, and so is so monetary policy acts with a leg. So we're already looking out six, 12 months. What is not? I try to think what is not priced in. So right now, what's priced in? Really bad stuff. Uh, recession, 75% chance, political upheaval, all kinds of noise, right, that we have to deal with every day. What's not priced in is inflation, again, falling back down to trend, which has been for the last 20 years, right? We're in a deflationary global environment. The Fed is going to be not as aggressive. Are they going to go to 4%? Probably not. They're not going to hike it through the whole yield curve. And if you have a long-term perspective, like Bill says, throw a dart 15 times and you're going to have winners. Bill Miller, that's your boss. (laughs) Miller Value, John Spallanzani, thank you very much. That does it for us. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now. Have a good evening. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 